Just think about what you'd rather trade for, you know, the oppressive heat in Tucson or Phoenix in the summertime. Phoenix is worse. Or the cold we have in Colorado. Well, maybe some days you'd like to jump back and forth. You know, hot and cold's a good mix. <laughs> a little bit. But anyway, you know, it is what it is, and, and that gets oppressive. So, you know, this Italian mama, you know, I don't know if I'm going to survive this summer. You may not see me at the wedding. You might come for a funeral. You know, this kind of stuff, Okay. <laughs> Yeah, can, can everybody just kind of go, aww? Or, or how, my favorite one is, wah. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, my mom. Uh, but you know what was fascinating to me? All the way up to our trip there, she's worried and oppressed. But the moment we're there, she's energized. And the difference is, this is, this is my deduction, and I don't want to overgeneralize, but the difference is we're there. The difference is we're there. And we're there. And, and, you know, I can't even get to washing my own dishes, as if I ever do. But I can't even get to washing my own dishes because she's in the kitchen washing. She's gladly washing dishes. She's doing what she knows to do. Purpose, purpose, purpose of our being there. Uh, you know, what do you want to do, Mom? Oh, I haven't been to Mount Lemon. Can we go up to Mount Lemon? You know, if, if you don't know what Mount Lemon is, in you know, Tucson, you think of desert, right? All you have to do is drive like 60 minutes up a mountain, and there's a ski resort there. Can you believe that? So, you know, you can get both worlds right there. It's one of the few places in the world you can go from Sonora Desert to Alpine Mountain Territory, right, in just a few-minute drive. Man, she was energized. So the next day, we wanted to do something else, and she said, I think I'm too tired. I can't remember what it was, but it's not important. But then all of a sudden, my, my eldest daughter, Carly, comes running out to the car. You have to wait because she wants to come. <laughs> and she came, and she was energized. And it was so valuable, so valuable. And, and today, I was telling somebody a little bit about this, and they were telling me how so often their kids just forget to include them. And, uh, and therefore, having to take initiative in order to bring things together. And I think there's a good word there for all of us. And, and it takes me back to before I met Valerie, and I was feeling kind of alone and sorry for myself. And then all of a sudden, it was like the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Hey, Michael, do you suppose anybody else feels kind of like you do? You know, alone at times and sorry for themselves? What if you took a little initiative with them and got in their lives kind of thing? And so in this whole matter of purpose, maybe sometimes in our youth, you know, we feel like, I know what I'm going to do today. I know what I'm going to do tomorrow. I know what I'm going to do next year. I know what I'm, that was me. I know what I'm going to do 10 years from now. We used to do those charts in school, you know. What are you going to do 10? Man, I could just fill that thing out like crazy. I mean, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. What am I going to do? But in the course of that, who am I going to invest in? It's all the more important. And so I just want to just challenge us this morning. Take a little initiative with people. Because we're all kind of in that same boat. Even though we pretend like everything's cool, it's nice to know we're valued, huh? Yeah. Did that make sense at all? It does. I believe you. Good. I trust you. Yeah, you've been there. Take a little initiative. If you feel this way, who else feels this way? And it's so cool because uh, pastoring this church, I get stories of how many of you do that anyway. And sometimes you try and, and people don't uh, respond. 
But keep trying. Keep up the effort and, uh, and trust God as you do. It's good. It's good. Well, do you mind if I keep teaching in addition? <laughs> that wasn't what I came with today, but I knew God just wanted me to share something today that way. Good deal. Anybody going to pop if you don't say something? Because I love to hear from you all. Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. It's going to take a lot of work for me in Hebrews. Not because I don't enjoy Hebrews, but because I have this dilemma that I love to go deep, but I also recognize that not everybody lives where I am. So how do I make this palatable for all of us? So as we teach Hebrews, and we're, we're going to do this this week and then next week, so four weeks in this first series, and then we'll start another series on discipleship, and then we'll come back to this before Christmas because I'm breaking it up into little pockets hoping that God will give it to us in, in bites. But just understand how I grapple, grapple, grapple. It was so cool talking to a physicist professor this morning who had a difficult time figuring out an equation in his own textbook. Can you imagine a professor struck grappling with a problem in a textbook? And this is real life? Yeah, they do too. And so here I am, I grapple with this stuff, but largely it's because how do I make this palatable? Not only what does God want to say to me, but, but how do I make this palatable? So here we go. All eyes on Jesus. Does that sound familiar to you? All eyes on Jesus. Oh, that became so significant to me just a few years ago. I was teaching the book of Colossians at Ravencrest. What a great privilege. And it was probably my fourth year of teaching Colossians. I had taught Colossians rotation with First and Second Thessalonians. And so it was one of those years I was doing Colossians. When I got to chapter 2, verse 6, and I saw there the words, hey, you started with Christ, therefore carry on with Christ. It's not exactly the way it's written there, but this is, you know, the way I'm owning it here. You start with Christ, carry on with Christ, and then I realized, hold on, chapter 3, verse 1 says, therefore fix, set your affections on things above. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated on the throne. I thought, hold on a minute. It says you start with Christ, therefore carry on with Christ, and over here keep your eyes on Christ. So what's in the middle? And what I discovered in the middle was all of this religious garbage that people try to take on and impose on each other in order to somehow find victory in our struggles in life, particularly our struggle with matters of the flesh. And it was right in that that God just kind of caused those words to jump off the page at me to, to say, the Holy Spirit teaching me in, in all of this, um, it's all about Christ. And so, Michael, you've got to get past the performing, and you've got to get past the, the manipulating, and you've got to believe that the primary purpose of me, of you being here, is to help people get their eyes on Christ. He not only is the beginning of their salvation, he's their process of salvation, and he's their completion of salvation. And man, have I had victory since I, since I discovered all this. Set your heart, set your affections, set your hope, set everything on things above where Christ is seated on the throne because all this thing, oh man, when you're a parent and you're raising kids, life is so slow and, and bills are hard and it's like, are you kidding me? Now you want to do this and you want to do that. And then all of a sudden, wish, I mean, I was with my kids last week and they're not kids anymore and it's like, why was my childhood so 
long? And why it was their childhoods, why were their childhoods so short? What happened? What did I miss? Whisk, where did I, where did I blow it here? And it's like, this is life. It whisks by suddenly. So your hope isn't here. Your hope is in there. Set your hearts on things above. And I share that with you here because this is also the message of the book of Hebrews. Never forget Jesus. Never forget who he is. Never forget what he does, what he's done, what he's doing. Keep your hearts there. And a large part of it is because we end up deceiving ourselves or allowing ourselves to be deceived if we ever get the idea that we can somehow do something good enough or somehow be good enough to impress God. I mean, and then what we start to do is, is this comparison game. I mean, after all, I'm not as bad as... And there's a couple of problems with I'm not as bad as. One of them is that laying or labeling someone and their actions as being worse than yours in order to justify yourself. Put yourself in a, put yourself in a position you don't want to be in. Because suddenly you're, you're like this judge and suddenly you become the standard of, of what is good enough and, and what isn't. It's subjective. There's no objectivity to it. I'm glad God gets to do that business of figuring it all out because he has the helicopter view. He can see the big picture of what's really going on. So we don't want to set ourselves up as judge. But, but, but secondly, declaring yourself good enough, hoping, holding on to that, that maybe, you know, God surely be kind to me because I'm me, right? What that does is it undermines everything Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. Our only hope is Jesus. There's nothing in ourselves to hope in. And I say that because in the book of Hebrews, where we began, is God the Father speaks through the Son, and he says, listen to my Son. If you want to know me, then get to know my Son. Jesus speaks today through the word of God. I'm so excited today, October 1st, 2017, if you're reading the chronological Bible, today is the day that we begin the New Testament. It's like, wow, Jesus all through the Old Testament pointing to today, and today we, we get to see the, the preparation for the birth of John the Baptist, and today we get to hear the prophet, the last of the Old Testament prophets being raised up in order to declare the way of our Savior, Jesus Christ. All of this is to add credibility. This is the book of Hebrews. It's all to, to give the credentials and the credibility to all listeners, Jewish people who are looking for the Messiah. This is why you need to believe. So Jesus is speaking through his written word. Jesus is speaking through the person of the Holy Spirit. And I've been talking about that. I, I think I'll come back to that a little more next week, so I don't want to spend too much time there. And he's speaking through those who have stories to tell of how Jesus Christ and faith in Jesus Christ has forever changed the course of their lives. Does anybody have a story of how Jesus Christ changed you forever? Anybody? Anybody? Anybody want to give glory to God for the work he's done in your life? Yeah, God is speaking. Is anybody listening? And and honestly, come on, you can undermine Christians all day long, but truth is, look at this. Have you ever known someone that's caused you to think maybe God is real? And are you listening to what God is saying? 
Now today's text, if we ever get here, <laughs> has a very interesting outline uh, for us, and I need to, to point this out because four times we're led along this, this path of the Lord's earthly ministry, and at each of those, we find ourselves again at the foot of a very bloodied cross. I want to highlight them because now we're going to go back and, and walk through them, and I need you to see how this, this portion of Scripture ties together. It's very valuable to us. So if you look at verse 9, you can see the words, he suffered death, right? If you look at verse 10, you can see he suffered. If you look at verse 14, you can see by his death, those words. Okay, so I'm going way fast. I know I'm really energized here this morning. I missed a week of preaching, so I have to catch up on words now. I don't know who's, if that's to an advantage or a disadvantage for anyone. Uh, but for, again, verse 9, suffered death. Verse 10, through what was suffered. Verse 14, by his death. And then verse 18, uh, he himself suffered. So four mighty reasons that Jesus died. And today I'm going to do kind of a walking commentary a little bit. We're going to look at this text and then kind of work through it. And I hope you can connect all this together. So starting with verse 5, because Aaron concluded with verse 4, which was actually a very important interlude in the scriptures. And praise God for Aaron and his teaching last week. Thank you, Aaron. Good job. Glory to God. Okay, so it says in verse 5, it is not to, the, not to angels that he, being God, has subjected the world to come. Who do you think he's going to put in charge of the world to come? It's actually going to be, yes, Jesus, but God created us with dominion, and this is about restored dominion to mankind. Interesting. Okay? Now watch this. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified, and I'll tell you where that place is because it's important that you know. It's in Psalms chapter 8, which is a psalm about mankind. Okay? Now, if you jump down to verse 8, you see this because it says there, God put everything under his feet, meaning man's feet. And the idea here is that God never put angels in charge of anything because that assignment was given to mankind. Who was given the assignment of dominion? Man. Right. Okay. Yes. Very important. Okay. Now, back to verse 6. And this is quoting Psalm 8. But as you read this, you need to imagine David out in the fields tending sheep on a very dark night. At this moment, have you ever sat beneath the stars and had this sense of overwhelm by the majesty of the stars and the Milky Way? We've had some glorious skies here recently. Yes, yeah, good time of year for, for viewing. So here's this enormous backdrop of a magnificent star-filled sky. And, and right in that, David poses the question to God, what is mankind that you would even notice him? Be mindful of him. And we see it in verse 7 where he says, You crowned him, God. You crowned, you crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. 
The emphasis on everything is so strong right here that, that he repeats it again because when God says everything, he means everything, and that is your destiny. That is my destiny, okay? We were created for this. But friends, we need to understand that there is a very important connection here or important condition and that condition is there's an authoritative structure and in that authoritative structure we only have authority when we're under authority god never intended us to impose our ideas on his creation but we are to represent god's heart to god's creation how do you do that unless you're deeply connected to your heavenly father how do you do that that's the only way okay so notice part way through verse seven that man was made a little lower than angels now that's new testament and the word there is indeed angels in the original but remember he's quoting psalm 8 and if you look at this in psalm 8 the word that's used there is the word elohim which is God. So potentially what this is saying is that man was made to exist a little lower than God. It's an authoritative structure. Okay, so verse 8 now gets honest about our current problem when it says, yet at present, okay, at, at the moment, temporary here, we do not see everything subject to him, subject to to us. So in a nutshell, this is the story of human history. We were created to control everything, but the reality is everything is so out of control. Okay, now take it home. Think about your life. How much of your life do you have control over really? And can we be really honest? Isn't much of our frustration rooted in our need to control and perhaps just maybe we were created to control and we can't operate this way it becomes very frustrating part of the reason we have children is to show us just out of control everything really is yeah better believe it we can't even exercise self-control let alone thinking about controlling God's created universe. A passenger on a taxi tapped the driver just to ask a simple question, and immediately the, the driver screamed, lost control of his car, nearly hitting a bus before he jumped the car, rolled onto the sidewalk, and stopping just inches from a storefront window. Car was quiet for just a moment. Taxi driver's getting his breath, and he says, don't ever do that again. You, you scared the daylights out of me. Pastor, apologize. Oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. I had no idea that a tap on the shoulder could cause such, such fright. And the driver thinks about it, and he says, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. It's really not your fault. You see, for the last, you see, today is my first day on the job as a taxi driver. For the last 25 years, I've driven nothing but hearses. <laughs> Things get so out of control. Okay, so now we need to put all this together, okay, this way. 
Man, you and me, we were created with dominion over God's universe. He put us in charge. That dominion is limited to submission, and that submission must be toward God himself. We rebelled, and the result is things got out of control. Would anybody agree? Things are out of control. Yeah. Okay, I see your heads. Yeah, thank you for that. Why? Because man has no authority unless he's under authority. So this is why we find verses like Romans 8.20 that describes our current condition where it says creation has been subjected to frustration. Who's in charge? It's frustrating. What in the world is going on? And this is where all of this dissatisfaction, emptiness, futility, and so forth comes from. Things get out of control when we are not properly aligned with God, when we are not surrendered. But praise God, there's an answer, and it's in the very next verse, verse 9, but we do see Jesus. Sounds more like where we started, doesn't it? All eyes on Jesus. That's why we went there. And this takes us to the first magnificent reason Jesus died. Jesus died to restore lost dominion. Okay, let's read on. We see Jesus who was made lower than the angels. Very interesting, similar expression here, except we were made lower than God. But Jesus made lower than angels for just a little while. Now, right, fulfillment, now, I love today's daily bread. Did you read it? I mean, it's a kindergarten teacher who first day of the class, first day of school, pretty close to where we are, asked her class to draw a picture, the class to draw a picture of themselves. And this little girl draws a couple of random circles, one kind of an oblong-shaped head, the other kind of a rotund body thing, and then a couple of dots for eyeballs. Then on the last day of school, she again had them draw a picture of themselves. This time, we see a little girl wearing a pretty red dress, right? The image is the dress with flowing hair, hair. I don't get my vowels right all the time. Hair, right? And, uh, and, the, and the idea was to show the parents progress is happening. And this is Jesus. We need to see him because he's a forerunner right here. He, he was made a little lower than angels for a while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. And friends, that is our hope right there. You and I, we gave up control through our rebellion. Jesus Christ gave up control control by his obedience and because of the obedience of Jesus Christ he has broken down the barrier that keeps us from experiencing life as God intended it and the barrier that keeps us from being everything that God has created us to be and that barrier has this deeply grim word and that word is death That's the word. Death. Death. Death is really about being separated from God and his blessing. The result is the things we've been mentioning, futility, frustration, defeat, and our final death knell is when they stick us in a coffin and put us in the ground. 
But there is a hope here and an application. The path to our restoration is in surrender, and that surrender begins when we come to faith in Jesus Christ and what he accomplished on the cross. He took the penalty we deserved upon himself, didn't have to do it, in order to restore to us a sense of wholeness and purpose. And if you want to understand struggles of life, then I would challenge you, begin there. Restored dominion. I think we'll see the significance of this as we go. So let's progress. Second reason. Second magnificent reason Jesus died was to restore lost unity. Now I'm going to go back to the text, verse 10. But I want you to notice the many expresses of unity that are here going forward now. Watch this. In bringing many sons and daughters, there's the first, to glory... It was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the pioneer of their salvation, that's Jesus, he led the way, right? He was lower for a while, but now he's restored to power. He's pioneering the way, pioneer of their salvation, perfect through what he suffered. Verse 11, both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same. Yeah, there's unity again family so Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters hmm. he says now he's quoting scriptures he's looking at prophecies Psalm twenty two twenty two. I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters in the assembly I will sing your praises now stop calling our worship time song service because it's important enough that scripture highlights Jesus sings in the assembly of believers praises to God what we do is significant okay very important then he goes on to Isaiah chapter 8 two verses I will put my trust in him and again here I am here am I and the children God has given me Unity, unity, unity. The, the pioneer is Jesus. And so you might ask the question, why does it say Jesus could possibly be made perfect through suffering? I mean, wasn't Jesus perfect when he came? Wasn't Jesus perfect in the crib? Wasn't Jesus perfect when he was tempted in the wilderness? Wasn't Jesus perfect when he suffered and died? Yes, he was so how can he be made more perfect? Well, it's not like us. It's not talking about Jesus' shortcomings. This is t- talking about Jesus' completed work. Jesus' completed work. It was by his victory in suffering that he proved himself the perfect, all-sufficient Savior, therefore proving himself to be the Messiah. So hey, all you Jews out there, Stop looking for the Messiah and see him here in Jesus. And in that, he leads the way to unity. The perfect, the perfect family. The perfect family. Got a, anybody got a perfect family? Perfect family. Would anybody agree with me that there's much disunity in our world today? How about in our country? How about in our homes? 
in the midst of all this disunity on the news, I've observed this banner that's been popping up, and I want you to watch for it. It's happening more and more. That banner says, you may say, I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. And when he uses the word dreamer, I want to, I want to empower you to dream, okay? But, but this is a derogatory expression. You may say I'm just a dreamer, that there's no reality, all this, but I'm not alone. I'm not the only one. It's a lyric that was penned by John Lennon, one, one of the, the, the Beatles, and, uh, and, and I just want to challenge you to look for this thing. The, the words go on to say, uh, I hope someday you will join us and the world will be as one. So this is a philosophy that's being presented for the perfect family, okay? It's, it has nothing to do with Jesus Christ. It has everything to do with us. And if you read the lyric of the song, I have to shut it off every time. And here I grew up with Beatles and I, and I love that whole John Lennon, Yoko Ono, peace thing back then, you know. But, but man, the more longer I work with Christ, the more I see a spirit of Antichrist going on here. And here's what it says. And, and I, I realize right here that I'm confronting the gates of darkness. And you need to consider whether you're listening to man's ideas or to God's truth. Okay, that's, what, that's where we are right here. So it's cutting edge right here of, of impacting and breaking down the lies that we've exposed to. And the song says, you get rid of any thought of heaven and hell. Get rid of it. You get rid of any boundaries that separate, such as defining countries. Stop valuing your country. Stop valuing these things that divide. Get rid of any notion that there are things worth living for and things worth dying for. Get rid of all your religion and get rid of your possessions. Now, if you've sat under my teaching for any length of time, you know that my great irony in all this is of us who embrace that, the generation that birthed this kind of idea, right, brought it to the forefront, we have experienced a divorce rate that is unprecedented. So it's like we're saying we can't even get along in our own homes, but we sure can tell the rest of the world how to get along. Right? This is what's going on here. This is what we're talking about. And isn't it interesting that this songwriter, John Lennon, was murdered by a very deep and intense follower of his? Where is the irony in all this? See, I don't believe this originated with John Lennon. It's from the, the pit of hell because any idea that kicks God out of the middle of any source of peace is a lie. And I want to make a prediction that this song is going to rise up and become one of the key vehicles of this coming one world government that's going to undermine all Christian values because you're going to be the evil one because you're claiming to know the way and therefore you're undermining all other ways. You watch for it and let's see what happens because my friends, God doesn't operate off ideas. God operates off a divine plan. And this is where we need to understand. There is only one place where unity will ever exist, and that unity is in the family of God. That's right. 
So the application, Jesus is the pioneer of true unity. He secured it by his death on the cross. He now invites us in. We become a part of it when we place faith in Christ. That's what we're talking about. Yeah? Okay, let's go on. Third magnificent reason. He died to set us free. Verse 14, since the children have flesh and blood, that's you and me. Pinch yourself, be reminded. My buddy Peter led me to the Lord, right? Every once in a while he'd do this, still flesh. Yeah, still flesh. Yep, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in the humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Somehow Satan got control. Hold on a minute. If Satan is a fallen angel and we start off reading the passage saying that angels have been given no authority, then how in the world did Satan ever get control? We handed it to him. We gave it to him. When we chose to listen to him over God, we gave our dominion to Satan. And I challenge you to start there if you want to understand why everything is such a mess. And at this point, Jesus hasn't eliminated Satan in his work, but he has rendered him powerless against the people of God. Did you hear what I just said? Satan has been rendered powerless against the people of God, and therefore we no longer have to fear separation from God. We no longer have to fear separation from his blessing. We no longer need to fear. And here is the key buzzword. How you all doing, by the way? Okay, good. I was worried. The key buzzword. We no longer have to fear missing out on life. We no longer have to fear that we will somehow miss out on something. If we don't get all our T's crossed and all our I's dotted, what will happen? We no longer have to fear that. Uh, Let's look at a couple of examples here. Charlottesville, okay, recent history Charlottesville. Situations like it. At the core of such ideals that are going on here is that there is someone, or let's say someones, who actually believe that someone or someones is depriving them of their opportunity to experience life to the full. That's right. I mean, it might be true on both sides, worth, worth looking at. Beneath the surface of all this restlessness is a desire, this desire we have for, for life. And in that desire for life, we begin to buy into these lies, the lies of the devil that go like this. And here's philosophy again. Real freedom, real life will only be found when at last you are allowed access to everything and everything that has been denied you. Hmm. We want what we want when we want it. And if you tell me I can't have it, I want it all the more. And it's rooted in this fear that you just might be causing me to miss out on something. You just might be causing me to miss out 
on life. It's rooted in the, the need of the flesh, trying to satisfy the flesh. But the truth is, it's the devil holding us in shackles. And the greater the extremes in our desires and our pursuit of satisfaction, the emptier we feel. Okay, that's why uh, Mick Jagger, I can't get no satisfaction. And we all related to it because we desire and we can't have and we think that the fulfillment is found in finally getting it. So even churches begin to say, yeah, let's just justify everybody and justify everything. Hmm. Here's another example, fantasy. Surely the right relationship will make me happy and give me life. Can I tell you the truth about relationships? Relationships are a fire. It's a fire, depending on your surrender to God, it's a fire that has the potential of one of two things. To destroy you or to define you. That's right. Let's think about uh, money for a moment. Surely enough money will make you happy. Truth is, money is a fire. And that fire, depending on our surrender to God or not, it will either destroy you or it will define you. Think about it. A man is on a mission to amass great wealth, okay? He thinks that's the way to to happiness. In in his pursuit of that, life begins to pass him by, and he can't even see it. By holding on so tightly to his treasures, he's losing his grip on life, and in the end, he ends up with nothing. Like relationships, it can be the devil's shackles. Like relationships, money can be the devil's shackles, depending on if we're surrendering to the Lord or if we're trying to satisfy our own wants. But friends, what this scripture tells us is that Jesus broke the shackles through his death. <laughs> That's right. Freedom will never be found in having all of your wants satisfied, but in at last letting go. It's only in letting go of life that finally we, we find life. And it's the one who tries to hold on so desperately that ends up missing out. Jesus is the pioneer of all this, and here's what Jesus modeled for us. He let go of everything. He let go of everything, and because he did, he rendered the devil powerless. And so I just have to ask some questions. You know, what are you holding on to? What are you fighting for? What is it? What is it that you're trying to hold control over? And today we see and let go, trusting Christ. Fourth magnificent reason we'll bring this home is to help us live victorious lives. Victorious lives, starting with verse 16. For surely it is not angels he helps. It's not angels Jesus helps. Jesus didn't die for angels. Do you hear it? Jesus didn't die for angels. It isn't angels Jesus helps. But Abraham's descendants, and if you understand the context of this, that if you're a child of God, born into God's family through Jesus Christ, faith in Christ, you are one of Abraham's descendants. So it's talking about believers here, right? Verse 17, for this reason, he had to be made like 
them like us fully human in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered when he was tempted he is able to help those who are being tempted (laughs) anybody grew up with an image of a judgmental God yeah Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, come, come on. The, the old guy, kind of angry, you know, long white beard, long flowing hair, long white robe. What's he holding in his fist? Bolt of lightning, right? And, and the whole idea was you better not blow it because if you blow it, God is ready to strike you down in an instant, right? So you do what you want and then you say, hey, Lord, would you just turn your eye, you know, kind of look away from this one because I don't want to die today kind of thing but what does the scripture say the scripture says he humbled himself it says he was willing to become like us take on flesh why in order to help us in order to help us not to defeat us but to help us god didn't send his son in the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him God doesn't want to strike us. God wants to help us. And when it says he became a merciful and faithful high priest, it doesn't mean he somehow changed. It simply means that Jesus is showing us his credentials by what he has done. And what we need to hear in this is freedom, liberty, that everything we do as believers isn't because we're in bondage of fear, but because we're operating out of liberty. We don't walk in fear of damnation, that at any moment God can strike us dead, but we walk in the gifts that he has made available to us through his death, which includes walking in dominion, walking in unity, walking in freedom, and then walking in victory. And friends, if you want to understand how to live a life of greater health, of greater purpose, of greater significance, it begins at this place of recognizing the authoritative structure, right? Operating at the place that he's put us, not trying to think that somehow we know better than him, And we need to know that in these last days, the world's going to see us as being a nuisance because they're going to say, away with you, away with all your rules. We don't want to listen to you anymore, so just go away. And the whole time he's saying, hey, come to me and let me help you. And this is really at the core of who we want to become as a church. One Lord, right? Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. One team, Love his people together, the family, the church. Let's do that. One mission, to love those who are far from God. So, there we are. That's the word of the Lord. That's that's awesome stuff. (laughs) So, Lord... um, it's awesome. You're awesome. Just take a moment between you and the Father right now and consider what is it that God is uh, speaking to you today? 
And how will you respond to that?